This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time. And this is a Hack the Craft episode. And this is also part two of a two-part episode on critical elements with chapter openings and narrative breaks. As Taylor said, this is a Hack the Craft episode, so we do have video, and you can find the video on Taylor's Patreon page. We will link to that page in the show notes. All right, let's get right to this. So, picking up where we left off, we have covered the sample paragraph with whose eyes we're seeing the scene through in yellow, where that character's body is in relation to time and space and place in green, and we covered a sense of atmosphere and mood. Now we're going to look at the next three elements, which is why the character is where they are, the point of view character's frame of mind, and any other characters that are present and where those bodies are in space and time. So reading the original paragraphs again, Paper cups of bitter vending machine coffee dregs littered the scarred Formica table in front of the couch Leah shared. So bitter paper cups, that whole descriptive sentence, is extra detail. The couch Leah shared is in green. It's what presented us with where the character's body was supposed to present us with where the character's body was in time and space, but we still don't know whose head we're in. She shared that couch with Anna and Donna. And Bailey and Jim sat on a matching couch facing them, looking as helpless as Leah felt. Anna and Donna, Bailey and Jim, sitting on the matching couch, that are other that is other characters that are present and where those bodies are in time and space. Looking as helpless is point of view characters' frame of mind, and as Leah felt is now telling us for the first time whose head we're in. Next comes the waiting room clock was silent and had not appeared to move the last five times she looks at, looked at it, which is our sense of mood and atmosphere. She stared dully at dully um, is, again, characters, point of view characters frame of mind at the cracks in the aging turquoise vinyl upholstery, which is extra detail. And then a question, when did you find him, Bailey asked, which tells us why the character is where they are. So with these three uh, uh, elements, why the character is where they are, the point of view character's frame of mind, and any other characters that are present and where those bodies are in time, space, and place, there's leeway in the order that that array of elements is presented. What matters most is that they are all present. We need to cover them. Now, if there are no other characters in the room, then it's irrelevant. We do not need to know that. But we do need to know it if there are, because we cannot later then have disembodied voices coming at us out of the the blue. And you can't have half a page and then tell the reader that there's other people present or their entire mental movie has to be rewritten and started over to include those other people. So every single one of these doesn't have to be there. 
if it doesn't, if there's no reason to, for example, with other characters. But if those elements exist, these must be here. Uh, that particular one must be there if. The other two, you have to have why the characters, where they are, and the point of view character's frame of mind. Otherwise, we'll get lost. So, again, what matters most is that they're present and that they come after character and character's body. So unlike atmosphere and mood, which can go before character and character's body, but can be boring if you put too much of it there, these ones have to come after. They cannot go before. So in this example, we're given the other characters and shown where they're positioned before they speak, which is excellent. We have fast, quick word strokes that give us insight into the point of view character's frame of mind, also excellent. And dialogue is used to convey why the character is where she is. Now, this isn't self-evident through this example in isolation. But for anyone who's read the preceding pages, it's quite clear, and it's a perfect use of dialogue to anchor the reader in, in the scenario. The only issue at all with this paragraph is placement, and that, that puts a few of these elements ahead of character and character's body. So let's return to that example again. I'm going to read it one more time, just because for our audio listeners, sometimes that's the only way to, to really fully follow. Paper cups of bitter vending machine coffee dregs littered discard from Micah coffee table in front of the couch Leah shared with Anna and Donna. Bailey and Jim sat on a matching couch facing them, looking as helpless as Leah felt. The waiting room clock was silent and had not appeared to move the last five minutes. She looked at it. She stared dully at the cracks in the aging turquoise vinyl upholstery. When did you find him? Bailey asked. So here's our element order again whose eyes we're seeing this through, or whose scene is happening to, where that character's body is in relation to time and space, a sense of atmosphere and mood, and then why the characters, where they are, the point of view character's frame of mind, and any other characters that are present, and where those bodies are in time, space, and place. And finally, we can add any further details in the order that the character sees, hears, experiences them. So in this example, we have extra detail before everything else, and this is where the paragraph chokes, and it does so for two reasons. The first is that it's putting detail before character and character's body and everything else that matters. The second is that these details are in reverse order to how the brain, and by implication, the character's brain, sees, hears, and experiences. So remember, the most critical aspect of further detail is that it's presented in the right order because getting that part wrong has the potential to shut off the mental movie right as it's fully rolling. Now, if this paragraph or this scene had been a single point of view story, then character would have already been pre-established before, before we saw the detail. And under those circumstances, if the detail itself had been in the correct order, the grit created by putting it ahead of the character's body and everything else that matters would have been minor. So that's an example of how situational some of this can be. In a single point of view context, this wouldn't, it'd be like, okay, fine. It'd still be a hitch to the brain, but not as much of a hitch to a brain. So we're going to spend some time going over why the right order for the detail matters so much. And first, let's disassemble the details. First, let me see if I can get my screen correct. So... This paragraph, it provides fantastic visuals. The issue in this particular line of visuals that we're discussing is that they go from small to big. 
like a zoom out effect on television where you start with a close up and gradually work your way out to see the whole picture. And this works really well for a visual medium like movies because watching movies is passive. All the brain has to do is observe and absorb. But reading is fully active. The mind has to make all its own mental movies and it can only do this with the tools that you give it. So the zoom out effect doesn't work for mental movies because every time you add a new element, the mind has to reorder the entire thing and start over with the new information. Now, um, an aside that I meant to put in into the text and, and forgot until the last minute and didn't have time is that you could say, but you said that this has to go in the order that the character is seeing it. And if you have a character sitting on a couch staring at a table, well, of course you're going to see the cup and then kind of move, go out. So isn't that the way the character is seeing it? The character is not going to be looking at the entire room. And the answer to that is, aha, you would think so. However, before that character even got to that couch, the character has seen the entire room. The character already knows what's in that room besides the coffee cups and the table, but the reader doesn't. So in order for the reader to have any sense of what we're talking about, they have to be shown in the order the character would have seen it. And walking into that room, the character would not have focused in on cups first. Doesn't matter where their body is right now. And in fact, looking at this sentence in isolation, we don't know where that character's body is because we haven't been told yet. It's got to go in the other order for the mental movie to make sense of it. With mental movies, TV, completely different things. So here's that sentence. Oh, so we're going to break it down piece by piece to show what that means on a micro pause level. Now, remember, when we talk about grit, we're not talking about somebody stopping the story and logically thinking these things out. They happen in nanoseconds. But you combine enough of those nanoseconds together and it creates a uncomfortable, not really fully engaged moment. And the more of those you have collectively in a story, the more, eh, this wasn't very good, the reader's going to feel about your writing. They're not fully engaged. They're not, they haven't fallen into that story. And you want them to fall into that story and stay there until they come up for air going, oh my God, I can't wait to do that again. So these are the opening words of the scene. We have a completely blank slate with no context. Paper cups of bitter vending machine coffee dregs littered discard from Micah table in front of the couch. The first visual we're given is paper cups. The only thing we have in our mental movie at that point is paper cups disembodied in time and space because we haven't seen anything else. Next, we get to the bitter coffee dregs. To properly slot the coffee dregs into time and space, we need to overwrite that first image of paper cups and replace it with an image of paper cups with coffee dregs in them. So now we have paper cups with coffee dregs disembodied in time and space. But we've also been th thrown a minor mental curveball because in between the cups and dregs, we were offered the image of a vending machine, paper cups of bitter vending machine coffee dregs. We're still disembodied in time and space and there's no way to associate that vending machine image with anything visually, so it gets erased. It's a flash, vending machine, and a race. Boom. And the coffee dregs, now the visual, gets overwritten to reflect that they have been sourced from a vending machine. And what would otherwise have been a fantastic detail for pulling double duty on sense of atmosphere and mood becomes squandered. 
So we're halfway through the opening sentence, and we have paper cups with bitter coffee dregs that came from a vending machine, but the visual is a blip that's gone, disembodied in time and space. Now we get littered. And for the first time, the time, the space around those cups and dregs begins to form because we have a positioning now. Littered means cups are in a, in a, in a form, like a, a, an array. And that's our first sense of how anything is laid out in comparison to anything else. So that it starts to form, but not yet. Our brain knows it's coming, but it can't make pictures yet because the next image is scarred for mica which is its own disconnected visual because we don't yet know what that scarred for mica is attached to. So now we have two separate images disembodied in time and space. They're on hold waiting for the next detail, which is the coffee table. And that's the last the mental movie can and not last the mental movie can put all those elements together and it sets those cups with their dregs in a littered pattern on top of a scarred for mica coffee table disembodied in time and space. Then comes the front of the couch, and we shift that entire image, and the couch and table and coffee cups with dregs are now all together, but they're still disembodied in time and space. And the reason they're disembodied in time and space is because we don't yet know whose head we're in or who the scene is happening to. So even though we've been told where the character's body is relative to everything else because that comes next, that Leah shared, we don't actually know it's the body because we can't know that until we know whose head we're in, whose head that body belongs to. So these two details in that order, the character and the character's body are the anchors that secure everything else, always. And without them, we become lost, we're disembodied. Everything else becomes disembodied. It cannot move in a movie that's all put together, moving forward naturally. It just can't happen, there's, there's no way for it to happen. So. Now let's reverse the order of those additional details and see what happens. So here's the order again. Paper cups of bitter vending machine coffee dregs littered the scarred for my coffee table in front of the couch. If we take those exact same details and we reverse them so that instead of going from small to big, we go from big to small, we get something that looks like this. In front of the couch stood a coffee table. It's scarred from mica top littered with paper cups that held the bitter dregs of coffee purchased from a vending machine down the hall. Now what we've done here is started with the widest possible view possible and narrowed down into the specifics. And that's what you've got to do for the brain to start playing the mental movies from the very first word. Does that mean this is how the sentence should be written? Not at all. In its current form, it's clunky, it has too many words, no room to breathe, but that's okay because all we've done is reverse the details now and we can play with them and tweak as desired. It could be that all of this belongs in the opening paragraph. It could be that some of it would be better served elsewhere. What matters is that now, because it's in the right order, we're in a better place to decide what to do with it. So let's replace the original sentence with the restructured one, put the story elements in their proper order, and tweak the wording a bit to make it fit and see what happens. So here's the original again. Paper cups of bitter vending machine coffee dregs littered the scarred from Micah coffee table in front of the couch Leah shared with Anna and Donna. Bailey and Jim sat on a matching couch facing them, looking as helpless as Leah felt. The waiting room clock was silent and it had not appeared to move the last five times she looked at it. She stared dully at the cracks in the aging turquoise vinyl upholstery. When did you find him? Bailey asked. Now here are the elements and details reordered with a few word tweaks to make the changes fit and a few word tweaks to like avoid repetition or whatever. 
Leah shared the first couch with Anna and Donna. Bailey and Jim sat on the second, both of them looking as helpless as Leah felt. In between was a low table, its scarred from Micah top, littered with paper cups that held the bitter dregs of coffee purchased from a vending machine down the hall. The waiting room clock was silent and had not appeared to move the last five times Leah had checked it. She stared dully at the cracks in the aging turquoise vinyl upholstery. When did you find him? Bailey asked. So this reordering isn't the way the paragraph should flow. It's probably not even a contender for the top 10 best ways to do it. But what it does that the original version didn't is it allows the brain to begin making mental movies from the nearly the first word because we start with character. So Leah shared the first couch with Anna and Donna tells us nothing visually. What first couch? But the brain doesn't need to know what first couch as badly as it needs to know who's sitting on that couch and who who that couch is about. It can hold a couch in time and space very easily because it's focused on the characters. And then as we move forward, it all the we don't have to re-overwrite anything. We only add to it. We're not erasing, it's just growing. In the same way that that zoom out effect was intended, this allows that, except we're not zooming out, we're just focusing in. It's hard to explain. So here's another way that it could be done. We could move atmosphere and mood to the front to give the setting before we put the couch. The waiting room clock was silent and had not appeared to move the last five minutes. Sorry, the last five times Leah had checked it. She shared one couch with Anna and Donna. Bailey and Jim sat on the other, both of them looking as helpless as Leah felt. In between was a low table, its scarred from Micah top littered with paper cups that held the bitter dregs of coffee purchased from a vending machine down the hall. She stared dully at the cracks in the aging turquoise vinyl upholstery. When did you find him? Bailey asked. So notice how in doing this, some of the words take on a different purpose. This is hard to catch by ear. It's visible on the screen. But originally, we didn't have Leah felt until the very end of the the first sentence. That was our first cue. That was the first yellow that we were in Leah's head. But doing it this way, where we move the atmosphere and mood up front, The waiting room clock was silent and had not appeared to move the last five times Leah had checked it. Now we have Leah had checked it becomes our first cue that this is Leah's head that we're in. And so it moves that up front. It's not the beginning of the sentence. That's okay because atmosphere and mood can go before the character whose whose head we're in. But what matters is we know whose head we're in before we position the body. Again, does this have to be written this way? No, not at all. But now we have the elements more in the order that they need to be. What this does is demonstrate how story elements are like interconnecting Lego pieces. Once you understand the purpose each serves and you're able to separate them into their individual blocks, you can move them around in a mix and match sort of way, tweaking the words that connect them until you find the flow that both sets the visual tone that you're going for and gives the reading mind the tools it needs to immediately start the mental movie. So 
remember, the thing that is most important is that we know what character's head we're in or who the scene is happening to and where that character is relative to time, space, and place before we start throwing all those other details at it. Atmosphere can go first. So those that's your critical guidepost. And then you need to make sure that all those other elements do exist in whatever order they're in after we've established whose head we're in and where their body is. So attempting to craft multiple paragraphs this way can be tedious and time consuming. So even though this technique can work just about anywhere the story seems to be flat or missing something, I personally tend to reserve it for scene openings or segments that I'm really struggling with. With practice, it becomes almost second nature to fit the elements in the correct order. I don't think I ever run into a situation and haven't for probably since I was halfway through that first writing the first book where I would put other things happening to the character before we even knew who the character was or would take a crazy long time and have all this other stuff happening before we knew where the character was in relation to everything going around on around them. But I still make other mistakes related to this. Um, so when I can't get a, a paragraph to work and I break it down like this, in my case, it's usually not so much the wrong element order. It's that I'm trying to cram too much into too, too small a space. And by looking at each piece, breaking it down like this, I'm able to see what actually is extraneous detail, which usually means it's either not important enough to keep, I can just delete it, or I can move it elsewhere and make space for the elements that actually matter more in that part of the scene. So what I'm trying to say is it's incredibly tedious to do this, do it this way, but it helps. It can really help in times when you can't figure out why a scene is not working or if you don't trust yourself yet enough to know if the scene is working the way that it should be working. And it gets easier, but even after all these years, I still have to use these techniques to help sometimes sort out what I can't figure out on my own because I just can't make it work. So I want to reiterate again that these rules are meant as a tool and not a cudgel. And my way of doing this is not the only way. There are some writers for whom using ordered story elements will feel formulaic and straightjacketed. Um, that is okay. Everyone should find the technique that best suits their own voice and style. Now that said, the one thing I am consistently known for, even among those who don't care for my characters or work in general, is evocative and vivid storytelling. And it might seem like I'm using an abundance of rich textured detail to create this effect, but I'm not. The reader's own fluid mental movie is what gives that impression, and all I'm doing is providing the raw material so they can build their own textured image. For me, personally, this story element hack right here is the fastest, easiest way to do that. Well, I hope that other listeners, because I, I, while we were recording this, I was totally in the role of listener and just listening. And I, I wonder if the other people out there listening had the same thought that I did. It's like, oh my gosh, this just makes so much sense. And it's not something I've ever thought of before. But I, I have so many scene openings that when you look at them, it's like there's something wrong here and I don't know what it is. And I, I also see it in other things that I read, especially at the beginnings of books when you're, you're trying to decide whether you want to read the book or not. And you'll go paragraphs, sometimes a, a couple of pages, 
before you begin to build that mental movie. And I was actually reading something today where I, I was three pages in, and I had no idea what was going on, who, who was there, or any of that. Anyway, this, this was fantastic. Uh, thank you very much. I want to comment on one particular thing that you said. And can you go back to the first paragraph, the original paragraph? Yes. Um, I'll get there. This one here? Yes. Okay. okay. Paper cups, paper cups of bitter vending machine coffee dregs littered the scarred Formica coffee table in front of the couch Leah shared with Anna and Donna. We read that or we heard that from you a dozen times today. And then you said, as you were breaking it all down, you said vending machine coffee. And I wrote this down. And you said... It, it doesn't really fit with the movie, and it's kind of there, and it's not there. And until you said that, I'd heard that a dozen times, and it never clued into me that this was vending machine coffee. It literally was there and then not there. I had the paper cups. I had the coffee dregs. I had the table, but I'd never had the vending machine coffee. It just was there, and then it wasn't there. And I thought that was really cool that you, you just kind of plucked that out, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even realize. We'd heard it 12 times. I didn't even realize that vending machine coffee was in that. I think, um, like, if, even me reading stuff, or even in my own writing, I'm not always aware. It's only when you actually break it down that you can see it. That's why from a, a writer's perspective, color coding, breaking down the elements, um, it, it, that is what shows you. Like, even, like, like I said, I'm not always aware in my own writing what's not working. Just know something's not working. Um, if we'd had more time, I probably would have gone over the cracks in the aging turquoise vinyl upholstery because that, which is the final sentence of that paragraph, um, it also, those are, um, misordered like we start with cracks and then we get aging turquoise but turquoise doesn't age so we have to hold that and then we get vinyl and then we get upholstery so it's that too also is backwards from how it needed to be but I didn't want to just pick on this paragraph um and make it sound like you know because C.A. Newsome Carroll is a great writer. I love her stories and, you know, picking on these little tiny things. But but our goal here is, and, and this bit's paragraph works. There's nothing really wrong with it. But our goal here at, with the Hack the Craft concept is to get better, to find ways to strengthen our writing and to find ways to do it using hacks. If this, then that. And this is one of those hacks. Get you, get the, the details in the order from big to small, not small to big. And sometimes it can be a writing tick where you, as a writer, start small because that's how you're seeing it as, as your visual moves out. But the reader doesn't have what you have in your head. They only have what's on the page. So this is a technique for figuring that out. All right. And once again, I know we mentioned this in the first episode, so I want to mention it in the second episode as well. This comes from C.A. Newsom's book, A Shot in the Bark. And I think you said in the first episode that... The, the book is available for free at 
a variety of, of on all, I think stores. on all, all ebook platforms, it's, okay. it's available for free and it's the beginning of a series. So if you like the characters, um, I, I haven't had a chance to read the following books yet, but if this follows the pattern that all writers follow, they're going to just keep getting better. So if you enjoyed the first one, you should probably check out the next ones too. And they do. And there's a later book that's actually, I think my favorite in her series that's about a writer that kind of goes missing and and uh, it's just it's a it's a really fun it's a really fun story it's a fun series so if you like the characters Taylor's right uh, you'll you'll enjoy the entire series and I think uh, I think Carol also released uh, released a box set not that long ago and there might even be an audio box set as well which yes. uh, is a great way to buy them in combination and I I really like the whisper sync process of of reading and then getting in the car and continuing the story and then getting back and going back to reading again. That's that's just a geeky thing that I like to do. But anyway, it's great to have Hack the Craft material back again. So thank you, Taylor, because I know yes. this is really time consuming. I would rather do this than write. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love so this. <laughs> we love this. And we're glad that you, that you have written and that there's a book available for uh, for pre-order now. But, uh, yeah, once that book comes out, we're all going to be looking at you like, you know, where's the next book? Right. And I just want to say that if you enjoy this material, this podcast material, um, and if, you, if you're capable, if you're able to pledge even a month, a dollar a month, $3 a month to help me keep being able to do them because I can't do them and write at the same time. Um, I would really appreciate that. And what it does is it shows me that I'm providing you value. Um, because that's how my brain works. If I'm not providing value and this isn't worth anything to anybody, then why am I doing it? So, um, yeah, if you, if you would consider, uh, doing a small Patreon pledge, that would be a great way to keep me going as well. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We will be back again next Tuesday.